Welcome to today's podcast and thank you so very much for joining us. Today's topic or theme is purpose and accountability in leadership. And when we consider the term leadership, if you took a hundred people and placed them in a room and asked them, what's one word that we can agree upon that would define this word leadership? I believe that most would agree that one word is influence. And we all have influence. We have influence as stay-at-home moms. We have influence with family members. We have influence based on our various positions in the workplace. We all have influence. Therefore, we are all leaders. And so when we consider purpose, we must also consider meaning. Meaning enhances and points to what is significant and beneficial. Another way to say this is that purpose is simply related to meaning and meaning to purpose. They are the opposite sides of the same coin, which can be seen in the following three components. Purpose. Purpose answers the question, what do you do? That's one way we can do it. Purpose answers the question, what do you do? And let's utilize, uh, as an example, a paramedic or a first responder. So, Uh, That first responder, that paramedic, that's his or her purpose is what they do. Secondly, beneficiaries for whom or who benefits from the paramedic or that first responder. It is those who have experienced an accident or trauma. Those are the beneficiaries. And then thirdly, meaning. How does your audience benefit or those who have experienced the accident or trauma How do they, what's the meaning? How do they benefit? They benefit or meaning is provided by immediate medical care at the scene of the accident. As another example of purpose and meaning, in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan, in July of 1999, Barry Sanders shocked the world, the football world, by announcing his retirement at the height of his career. Lacking only 1,400 yards to eclipse the all-time NFL rushing record, many considered him to be the greatest running back of all times. Coaches, commentators, football fans around the country tried to lure him back. Some said that Barry would return for the record. Others suggested he would come back for the money, the fame, or the fans. But in a fax to a local newspaper, Sanders simply stated, My desire to leave football is greater than my desire to stay. And with that, he boarded a plane and flew to Europe. Why would a man pass up millions of dollars, a place in history, the adoration of thousands, and a high-profile lifestyle? After all, isn't that the American dream? It wasn't for Barry Sanders. And like others, he found those pursuits to be empty, temporary, and meaningless. And he is not alone. The same year that Barry Sanders retired in 1999, a USA Today poll uh, asked this question. What would you ask God if you could get a direct and immediate answer? The number one response by their readers that took that poll, the number one response was, what's my purpose? Or as we consider it today, why am I here? Without purpose and meaning, it is possible that people can spiral downward into an abyss of uncertainty, dissatisfaction, discontentment, discouragement, 
which can lead to depression, all of which leads to a crisis in someone's life or the inability to cope with their problems because they have failed to understand their purpose and meaning in life. An essential element of purpose and leadership is to solve problems. And what problems and leadership have in common are people. When people in leadership positions lose sight of people and the impact of problems upon people, it is inevitable that more problems from the problems are going to occur. Former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Secretary of State Colin Powell stated many years ago, the day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is a day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. This timeless prophetic truth from Colin Powell's leadership experience is forever etched in history and we see the reality in the on April 22nd, 2020 with the murder of 20-year-old Vanessa Gillian at Fort Hood, Texas. What this tragic moment in military history reveals is that apparently there was no one in leadership or her chain of command that she trusted enough with her problems and difficulties of being sexually harassed and assaulted by 20-year-old Aaron Robinson that later murdered Vanessa and then killed himself. What problems and leadership have in common are people. And as an institution, leaders in the army failed Vanessa by failing to address and solve her problems of sexual harassment that led to sexual assault that led to her death. Colin Powell's philosophy, the day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership, reminding us of the essential element of purpose in leadership, which is to solve problems. We believe in ethnos leadership, a means or method of solving problems is by creating purposeful relationships that are valued, trusted, and respected. And we define relationships as relate to me on my ship. If you're going one direction and I'm going the opposite direction in our interactions, we'll never be able to create a purposeful relationship that is valued, trusted, and respected. If people believe that they are valued, trusted, and respected, this mindset creates a bridge to authentic accountability, which is reliable, dependable, and affirmational. Accountability simply means that we have the ability to count or make a difference in someone's life. Well, how so? When we talk about being reliable, this means that as a person and as a leader, you are consistent and credible in your character. To be credible is to be believable. When we talk about being dependable, this means that we have developed the level of accountability that means I can come to you even with my mistakes and failures and because we are accountable to someone or to one another, we overcome our hardships and adversities together because we have first established a purposeful relationship that's valued, trusted, and respected. And the third element of authentic accountability is affirmation. In its original Latin root, the word affirmation means to make steady and to strengthen. 
simply because we have established a relationship of authentic accountability. Authentic in a sense that it's real and trustworthy. A biblical example of authentic accountability is seen in 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, beginning at the first verse in the Amplified Version. The Bible tells us that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own life. This is another way to look at the relationship, a purposeful relationship that was valued, trusted, and respected. The soul of a human being is the seat of our emotions, intellect, and will, the way that we think, how we reason, how we make sense of the world. That's our souls. In other words, both Jonathan and David made a choice and pledged their friendship and loyalty to one another with one another from the depths of their souls. They would always look after the needs and welfare of one another. This friendship and loyalty led to a covenant, a promise to always be there for one another. This friendship and loyalty to one another was of such strength and integrity that in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8, Saul has been trying to kill David. But in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8, David gives Jonathan permission. The scripture actually says, David says, if you find iniquity in me, in other words, if I'm wrong, David gives Jonathan permission to kill him. This is a tremendously powerful example of authentic accountability that is discovered in the purpose and meaning of their love and loyalty towards each other. But this passage and relationship with Jonathan and David further indicates for us is the need for someone that we can tell the truth to and not feel like we've been judged We do not become offended or become defensive with truth about each other that we share with each other. I look at it in the sense of blind spot mirrors. Many of you, like me, I've had blind spot mirrors on my cars and trucks for many years. But I've also learned that even with blind spot mirrors, there are still blind spots. There are just some things about ourselves that we simply cannot see. But when you have a relationship that or when you are in authentic accountability with someone, this is a person that can tell you the truth about you and you not be offended or become defensive because it's simply truth that's spoken in love. Understanding the necessity of accountability calls for an active search for someone that gets you just like you are, whoever you are wherever you are in life and leadership and making the choice to be accountable. Here in Central Texas, the winter storm of February 2021 touched or impacted all of the 29 million residents of the state and is on track to produce more insurance claims than the $19 billion from Hurricane Harvey in Houston in 2017. And this $19 billion estimate doesn't include infrastructure, energy pipelines, and power plants that were stressed and damaged during the storm. Jackie Sargent, board member of Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, states, during the storm, we were four minutes and 37 seconds away from complete failure that would have left a humanitarian crisis in Texas for weeks and possibly months. Millions of Texans were without power and water for days. 
Texas Democratic Party, Texas Vice Chair Dr. Carly, uh, Dr. Carla Brady stated that we need leadership that's going to put people first and not profit. Well, how do we put people first? How do we accomplish this? We suggest a viable pathway to putting people first is by cultivating our emotional intelligence. Many of you are familiar with Daniel Goleman, who popularized emotional intelligence in the mid-1990s. In the simplest definition, emotional intelligence is an ability to recognize your emotions and other people's emotions. In his book, Emotional Intelligence, A Practical Guide to Making Friends with Your Emotional Intelligence, Ian Tuchovsky's perspective of emotional intelligence includes three pillars for cultivating your emotional understanding of self. The first pillar, first of all, be aware of the emotions you feel. And we all have them. We are very emotional beings, but many times we simply are not aware of the fact that we are very emotional beings. When someone tells us a joke that's so funny, we, we laugh until we cry. Or there are the occasions where we attend the funeral of a loved one or a friend, and that brings us to the emotions of sadness or grief. And being aware of, your, of the emotions that we feel is in, in, important, it's essential because you cannot change who you are until you are aware of something that needs to be changed. Emotional intelligence is mainly about awareness. When you bring something to your awareness and you are conscious of it, now that gives you the opportunity to uh, practice different responses or how to handle these emotions that you are now aware of. And if you do not handle your emotions, your emotions will handle you, particularly the negative ones, which can change the way that you think about the emotions. Our emotions have immense power over us from the day that we are born. When a baby comes into the world and begins to cry, the baby is feeling something or there is an emotional response at that moment. As the baby gets older and becomes a toddler, and is made by his or her parents to eat vegetables and does not want to eat those vegetables and throws them on the floor, that toddler is expressing or feeling a certain way. Those are very strong emotions that are being established and built within that toddler that uh, they grow up with and into through adolescence, through junior high, high school, and on into adulthood. And the sooner we realize that a certain feeling or emotion is present in a particular circumstance or moment, the more control over these emotions we gain. When you are in an argument or a heated discussion with your wife, your husband, co-worker, or neighbor, at the core of the argument are emotions or the way you feel about what's being discussed. And here's something that's quite or very important for us. We don't have to become angry. Let me say that again. We don't have to become angry or irritated if we are aware of the emotions that are arising in the midst of that discussion. We can choose not to become angry or irritated or frustrated because we are aware of those emotions and we have learned and are learning how to control those emotions. We don't have to become offended or 
become defensive because as we are aware of the emotions that we feel, learning to control those emotions is a portion of our purpose and accountability in leadership. Emotional intelligence is learning to be accountable to myself as an example to those that I lead. And this carries us to the second pillar of Tuchovsky's three pillars of emotional intelligence, which is know your emotional self. This perhaps is the most important of the three pillars. Knowing your emotions consists of obtaining answers to the following questions. Where did they come from? What's going on in my head in the moment before the emotion appears or rises? What thought triggers this feeling, this emotion? What is the course or intensity of these emotions? How and where do they end? How long do they last? As soon as we collect all the answers to these questions, you and I will have gathered a priceless collection of information on the specific emotions that you and I feel. And it's important to note that if we suppress or deny what should be expressed, that is when we can become depressed. Depression in psychology is a mood or emotional state that is marked by feelings of low self-worth or guilt and a reduced ability to enjoy life. Psychologists tell us that the human experience is composed of our thoughts that influence our emotions, that further influence our behavior and conduct. We cannot be at peace emotionally if we allow negative thoughts or experiences to influence us, to lead us, guide us, govern us. This process further carries you to the ability to control these negative thoughts and emotions because you know where they come from, how they grow, and when they attempt to take control of our soul the place of our intellect, our emotions, our will, the way that we think, the way that we see the world. As you practice asking yourself these questions, the process will carry you to the third and final pillar, which is the ability to control these negative thoughts and emotions. And one of the most effective ways to control our negative thoughts and emotions is to learn to think like God thinks. So God says to Isaiah in the 55th chapter, beginning at the 8th verse, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. From this passage of scripture, I've written a book entitled, Overcoming Negative Thoughts, Think Like God Thinks. To overcome means to conquer, defeat, or prevail over, to successfully deal with, handle, to gain superior, superiority against or over consistently. <clears throat> we cannot stop negative thoughts and emotions from entering into our minds. However, we can overcome and gain superiority over these negative thoughts and emotions that enter in our minds consistently. Chapter one in the book is God is always thinking about us. There's never a time that we are not on God's mind. And the word of the Lord says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. God, because he's always thinking about us, shows us how 
to overcome these negative thoughts and emotions. Chapter two is thinking like God thinks maintains the right perspective. In other words, we're able to see life and life circumstances and situations, the negative thoughts and emotions, the negative uh, feelings, whatever has caused us hardship, we think when we think like God thinks, it helps us to maintain the right perspective that he has made us more than conquerors. Chapter three is thinking like God thinks crushes fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind is a balanced mind, a sober mind. Chapter four is the faith factor in what we think. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants us to have faith in him. So Mark eleven twenty two says, have faith in God. Therefore, you can speak to your mountains and our negative thoughts and feelings and emotions may feel like mountains, but we can speak to those negative emotions and thoughts and we can cast them out of our lives and out of our minds. Chapter five is guarding the gate of what we think, which is our heart. Proverbs 4 and 23 tells us to guard our hearts for out of it flows the issues of life. All of us have issues, but when we guard the gate of our hearts, learning to think like God thinks, we overcome and place all things under our feet. Chapter six is being renewed in the spirit of our minds. How so? Because Romans chapter 12 verse two says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how often do I need my mind renewed? Every time a negative thought, a negative emotion uh, uh, attempts to rise up in my mind and lead me in a direction contrary to the will of God for my life. That's being renewed in the spirit of my mind. Chapter seven is think about elevating your mind. All of us at some times in our lives have gotten on an elevator and gone to a higher place in that particular moment of life. When we think about elevating our minds, we set our minds on that which uh, which is above. <laughs> Glory to God, where heaven is our home, but we don't become so heavenly minded that we have no earthly good. No, we just simply think about there's more power in the word of the Lord. So we elevate our minds. And chapter eight is patterns of excellent thinking. Oh, we begin with that in that chapter with Philippians four and eight. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are of a good report. You know the verse, all, whatever things are of good report, think on these things. In other words, this book is designed to assist you in overcoming negative thoughts and emotions as you learn to think more like God thinks. For more information on the book, visit us at www.gregory, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y, cruel, C-R-U-E-L-L.com. This doesn't mean that we don't ever think like God thinks, but the book is intended to teach us how to think more like God thinks, which further strengthens the reality of our purpose and accountability to self as we grow and show others how to cultivate their emotional intelligence because our focus as accountable leaders 
is always people and their well-being. People will always have problems, but the people are not the problem. And what problems and leadership have in common are people cultivating, developing, and growing in emotional intelligence, recognizing, being aware of, knowing, and controlling our own emotions enables us to be aware of other people's emotions. How so? Because we have established purposeful relationships that are valued, trusted, and respected, that creates a bridge for authentic accountability, that is reliable, dependable, and affirmational, that becomes our professional and spiritual responsibility. This mindset is where we further discover purpose and meaning for the benefit of others and ourselves because we are made better leaders and better people as we serve as Jesus served. Therefore, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 13 in the Message Bible, beginning at the 12th verse, after washing their feet, a sign and symbol of humility and servant leadership, Jesus says, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. And what's vitally important for us to understand is that Judas was at the same table with the rest of the disciples. Jesus knew he only had a few hours left, so he wanted to instill and impart into his disciples, the one that he was going to turn the mantle of leadership over uh, into to reach the world with the gospel. This included Judas whom Jesus knew was going to betray him in just a few short hours. So what's the point? The point is, is that when you and I can wash our Judas feet, somebody that you know is going to betray you. Somebody that on many occasions may even appear to be an enemy to you. Yet Jesus says, love even your enemy. So Jesus says, do you understand what I have done to you? What I've done, you do. I've laid down a pattern for you. And a portion of our purpose and accountability, the meaning of washing this one's feet and that one's feet, is to be able to rise to a level of spiritual maturity where we can wash even Judas' feet. This further concretizes the principle and precept of thinking like God thinks and the practice of emotional intelligence because we have to get over our emotions of people that have hurt us, people that have betrayed us, people that you know have done you wrong. We have to get over our emotions and this is a portion of our purpose of washing even our Judas feet where we further understand 
that the practice of thinking like God thinks and the practice of knowing our emotional self grants us insight to solving problems that are a part of our leadership influence. So we come back to the question that we began with. What is my purpose? Well, Jesus provides us with with the answer to this question once and for all in in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at the 13th verse in the Message Bible. Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this world. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Verses, verse 14, Jesus says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. Our ministry, our lives must be public. So Jesus says we're going public with this as public as a city that sits on a hill. If I make you light bearers, and he has, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, shine. This is the reason why we are here to be salt and light. So now who benefits from my purpose as salt and light? It's people that taste the saltiness of my life. People that can see the light, life, and love of God in my life or simply people that I influence. My husband, my wife, my children, members of my family, co-workers and neighbors, members of my community. Yes, even my enemies. Knowing this is the path of accountability unto the Lord. As we prepare to close today's podcast, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, unto whom much is given, much is required. We have been given much and God desires to use what he has given us to further his kingdom and proclaim his glory. It's what we have been created to do, further solidifying our purpose, the meaning of our purpose, accountability and responsibility to wash everybody's feet, to be salt and to be light. And in so doing, you and I, we're making a difference through mentorship and you make a difference one life at a time.